Well, good morning to everyone. Those of you who are visiting today, welcome. Very happy to have you with us today. Looking forward to a, a blessed time in God's Word once again. We're, we are in the book of 1 John, still, chapter 4. We began a couple of weeks ago to look at the section that begins at verse 7 and runs through the end of chapter 4. And we are going to continue on in our look at that, at that uh, portion. So uh, if you'll turn there, 1 John 4, we'll begin reading at verse 7. And I would ask if you're able to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. And knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his word, love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please do be seated. So we began this a couple of weeks ago and had, of course, a, a week's uh, intermission on this series as I was away. Um, but I want, so I, I think a little review is probably going to be helpful, uh, especially since we have a few who were not here uh, at that time. So hopefully it will not be too tedious of a review and we will get on then to the next portion of this. You may remember as we... Uh, as I laid this out for you a couple of weeks ago, that this is uh, another one of John's chiastic developments of a thought, where you, at the beginning of the section and at the end, you have parallel thoughts, and then you move in with parallel thoughts, move in with parallel thoughts until you get to the heart of it. In the, mid in the middle, chiastic, come from the Greek letter, key makes an X, the points at the middle uh, where everything comes together. Um, so we looked at verses 7 through 8 last time and verses 20 through 21. And uh, this, as you 
I think, heard, and I hope you, you grabbed a hold of as I read through it uh, with you, the emphasis upon abiding in the Lord and the Lord's abiding in us. And the abiding uh, concept is not something that is new in this section. It has been something that John has repeated uh, earlier again and again, different aspects of abiding in the Lord and abiding with one another, all with an, an emphasis upon both the foundation of that abiding and uh, a characteristic of that abiding, and that is that there is genuine knowledge that is going on. Remember that John in his epistle here is arguing uh, against the heretics that were dividing the church, among them um, the Gnostics who claimed to have special knowledge, and in their, and particularly about the Lord Jesus Christ in this case, that Christ really wasn't the f- fully God and fully man. He was somewhere in between. They had special knowledge that nobody else had, and they were apparently very effective in pulling uh, 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 people to themselves as followers in their teachings, and they were dividing the church. And John is arguing against that kind of false knowledge that the heretics were claiming and seeking to replace that in the hearts and minds of the believers with an understanding of what genuine, true knowledge of God is, what it looks like, and what it results in. And it has to do with not division of the church, but abiding with one another, and particularly in this case, as I'm sure you noticed, the command to love your brethren and to walk in love uh, with each other in the Lord's presence. And so in the bookends of this section, 7 and 8, 20 and 21, there's a focus upon this abiding in love and in a love that is genuine, not false. And we looked at, and I've provided these uh, everything for you there in the notes as far as the points are concerned, but the genuine nature of this love is, is, uh, at, uh, is the focus of these particular verses. It's coming from God uh, himself because he is love. And we talked about that love of his that's particularly described in the Old Testament and then borne out in the New as well. But do you remember the phrase that we talked about from those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago that's repeated over 200 times in the Old Testament? Does anybody remember what that was? Steadfast love. Well done. Yeah, steadfast love. And it uh, that steadfast love uh, is uh, an interesting, uh, the, the love that is, the, the steadfastness comes from the Hebrew word chesed. I just love that word. It's great when you need to clear your throat. Um, but it, I also love it for what it means. It speaks of his covenant loyalty. And so that phrase about steadfast love has the idea of doing loyalty, doing love steadfastly, uh, doing kindness is the literal uh, thought there of that phrase. That covenant faithfulness, that, that kind of love is essential to God's very being. And we talked about that for a bit. And then we also talked about this love that shows itself genuine in, in who it loves. And the emphasis, of course, here is upon loving one another as brethren uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and then also loving God himself. And then we also talked a bit about this love showing itself genuine by the effect 
that it has upon our hearts. And we looked at the aspect of the new birth uh, that is ours that John mentions here in verse, uh, verses 7 and 8. And then the new relationship that we have with the Lord himself, as well as uh, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And noted that that relationship, uh, kind of hearkening back to earlier in chapter 4, where that relationship is built not upon wishful thinking, but upon genuine experiential knowledge of who God is as he dwells with us uh, by his Holy Spirit. By this, it says in verse 6, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, uh, those that are listening uh, to what John has to say. So this abiding in love is, uh, the, the genuine nature of love is, is incumbent upon um, us to do, and it will be the foundation of uh, the, the surety that we have of the knowledge uh, that is ours in Christ. I want to look at a different aspect of his love now as we we move a little closer into the center, a very little bit closer. I'm only going to cover this one point this morning. Uh, verses 9 and 10 and verse 19. I'm just going to spend our time on those, those, uh, those verses this morning. You can probably tell if you're looking at the notes there what goes in the major point blank of the point because it's repeated uh, again and again and again in the subpoints, And that is, you and I need to abide in our Lord's preemptive love. That may not be an adjective that you often put together with love when you're thinking about God's love, but that is indeed exactly what it is, and that's what we see going on here in these particular verses. This genuine love uh, that is sacrificial, our, we'll look at that sacrifice even here now as we get into these uh, next few verses. But the sacrifice that is there that God shows, that is the kind of love that we need to abide in and recognize that that's where we're safe and not look for some other solution, some other source for our redemption, not some other comfort that, uh, that the of the world's love that it has to offer, but solely in the genuine love of our Lord that shows itself to be preemptive, i.e. it does not wait upon us to act. And notice the different aspects of this preemptive uh, character of love that we see here. Verse 9 is truly rich, truly rich. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Now, the in this is going to be developed in the remainder of the verses, of the verse. But uh, so hold on to that thought for a moment. And I think we all know we're talking about the sending of Christ to do his work. But I want to focus on the love of God being made manifest to us, being made clear to us. This love is preemptive in revelation. I, I am thrilled to think about the thought that, that our God did not desire to leave us in the dark. Years ago, uh, some of you may be familiar with the name Jack Hiles. Hiles Anderson College. He was a, 
he was an evangelist and uh, eventually started a college back in how was it Illinois or Michigan or somewhere back there in the Midwest. I can't remember exactly where it was. Um, anyway, Hiles uh, was, uh, I mean, he kind of he had a heyday, quite popular, particularly in the Midwest and on the East Coast, and had a following uh, around the country and the world as well. He uh, was tried and true Arminian to the core in his theology. Very, very um, uh, uh, convinced of man's ability to make decisions and to come to God uh, intellectually on his own, uh, on his own uh, efforts, and indeed, kind of that thought that that um, that uh, erroneous thought that Billy Graham sometimes also put forth that you know God has a vote and you have a vote, or God has a vote, the devil has a vote, and you have the deciding vote, which is. Horrible. Um, but in any case, Hiles was of that ilk. But Hiles was also, unlike Graham, who uh, had a, a, a gracious and, and um, a gentle spirit about him uh, in the way that he went about doing things, Hiles was uh, a lot more in your face and um, much more of a, of a person who had a plan and set out to do it, to accomplish. And he wrote a book um, um, about things like, you know, how to get rid of deacons in your church out the back door if you didn't uh, like what they were doing and that kind of thing. But Hiles, uh, when, it came to, uh, when it came to this idea of God's love being made manifest among us, his, his concept was much more... <coughs> You know, where God's not trying to surprise you, he, he, one of his books uh, tried to teach, teach pastors how to basically use shock tactics and, and, for lack of a better term, sneak up on people to get them to make decisions. I.e., you got to trick them into the kingdom. And he used terms that were fairly similar to that. And he's not alone. I mean, there are others that are out there that do the same kind of thing in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they do one thing or the other, to arm twist, to coerce, to do all kinds of things to get somebody to come down an aisle, to sign a card, to make a decision, to pray a prayer or whatever. And I've met several through the years that are of less public stature than, than people like Jack Hiles. But that's an, that's an abomination think somehow that we have to trick people into coming to, into the kingdom. And then it's up to us to work on their sensibilities, their emotions, uh, their mind and heart in such a way that we have to, um, that, that we are responsible for bringing them in. And we are not. That is the Spirit's work, which John has emphasized again and again and again in this epistle. Our Lord did not come... In fact, Jesus, Jesus said, these things haven't been done in a corner. Do you remember him talking about his works? They haven't been done in a corner. All of these things, so that everything might be fulfilled. The Lord laid it out. Could not be clearer. From Genesis through Malachi, 
what the Messiah was going to be, what he was going to look like, what he was going to do. Here's the pattern. Here's all of the things that was, are going to happen. And Jesus fulfills them. Boom, 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 boom. And, and man wants to go, well, we didn't know. The Lord's not interested in tricking people into his kingdom. He loves us into his kingdom. And part of that love, I'm so thankful, is to clearly manifest <coughs> what his plan is and who his Savior is and what our genuine obligations are before him. I'm so thankful that he is preemptive in Revelation. He didn't leave us to figure it out for ourselves. Not only that, once he gives all of it to us, he then gives us his spirit as Jesus promised, and as we've seen here, to teach us what he gave us. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, if you will. The first four verses. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. If there was any doubt that God revealed himself and his plan so that none would have an excuse, uh, these verses should take that doubt away. It doesn't mean that fallen man in, in our wicked and rebellious condition don't misread, don't close our eyes and don't want to see and uh, all of that. But as Romans 1 tells us, there's no excuse the things that um, he has for us are clearly seen by the things that are made. God is not in the business of sneaking up on us. He's in the business of calling us by his spirit to himself through the plan that he's revealed from the very beginning. And that plan does uh, is brought about, uh, again, also preemptively, I'm going to calling this word preemptive in execution for our next point. As you look back then at First uh, John chapter four and verse nine again, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world. Who is the prime actor here? Who is the one that is initiating this event? It's God Himself. He didn't go to his covenant people and say, are you guys ready yet? Is now a good time? Will this, will this suit you okay? Because, you know, I don't want to force you anything. I don't want, no. He's preemptive, yes, in his, the way, in, in how he communicated about this. And he's preemptive in the execution of this loving plan to redeem a people to himself. He sent his son into the world. Galatians 4, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, We also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. 
uh, in the communicants class uh, this morning, we were talking about some of these very things. It's really cool how the Lord kind of times those things out together. But we were talking about uh, the concept of being freed from sin and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and sanctifying us and so on. And I asked uh, my class, you know, what, is that, what does it mean to be freed from sin? And Charlie gave just the spot on right answer. We're not in slavery to it anymore. No longer enslaved to it. So here, uh, you must have been reading Galatians chapter 4. Um, uh, Galatians said, <laughs> where Paul says, when we were children, we were enslaved, but when the fullness of time had come, the fullness of time as determined preemptively by God Himself, not by us, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Beginning to end, it's the work of God, the preemptive, gracious, loving work of God to redeem us. So he's revealed the plan. He's carried out the plan. And this plan is not something that um, we get to then decide what we're going to do with it. Part of the preemptive nature of God's love is that He knows better than we do what we need and what His creation needs. And so, He's preemptive in His purpose. Again, He didn't ask any of us or any human being ever what we ought to do once we're saved. Okay, now that you're saved, now that you've got status, you can take it or leave it, whatever you like. Um, but sometimes I think that believers act that way. Um, I have, um, some of you do too, because of frequent travels, I have status. With an airline or two, and there are there are there are some perks to it. That's great, um, and it's even better when somebody you're traveling with has even higher status than you do, and you get to participate with them in that. As I just experienced this last trip, which is really nice. But in getting that status, we have all kinds of options, things that we can do, things we can take advantage of. But we can take it or leave it. I mean, what the airline's purpose in granting the status is to try to continually get us to keep spending money with them. They don't really care whether we actually take advantage of the status or not. And in fact, if we don't take advantage of it, in a way, that helps them. So they don't care. And sometimes we think, we think of God and the status that we have as, in the Lord Jesus Christ as His sons and daughters is in a similar kind of fashion that, well, you know, as long as we're there, it doesn't really matter. The rest of it, you know, God knows, God understands, He forgives, whatever, but I can just kind of go on. It's like, no, God is preemptive in the purpose of His plan. This is not an aimless endeavor that God just said, well, I'll just be, a, you know, philanthropic and do some nice things for people, and uh, if they take advantage of it, well and good. No. His purpose is preemptive. Look at verse 9 again, the last phrase there. Why did God in His love reveal 
uh, that love to us in the sending of His Son. I mean, it can't be clearer. So that, or therefore, you know, what do you ask what the therefore is there for? Well, why did God do this? So that we might live through Him. And that's a, a simple statement that is profound and broad in its application. To be alive and not dead in sins is one aspect of it. But also to truly live uh, according to His law, according to His ways, His works, as He has revealed them to us. Look again back in Galatians 3, if you want to choose there, uh, uh, turn there, it's verses uh, 13 and 14. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might uh, receive the promised spirit through faith. This is what life in Christ is all about. To possess his spirit. John has already talked about that a lot as the, as the spirit has been given to us. So that we might receive all of the inherited blessings that uh, were promised to Abraham as we are engrafted in to uh, the, the vine by his design, as, we, as the, the, the offspring of Japheth shall dwell in the tents of Shem, fulfilling that covenant made with Noah, that we'd have the blessings of eternal life, of fellowship, of God being our God, we being his people. And all that that entails in the way that we live, holy, acceptable before God, that's our reasonable service. But it all begins with the receiving of the Spirit so that we might be enabled to walk truly before Him in love, in holiness, and righteousness. That's our God's purpose in showing us this love. And so it's incumbent upon us to strive lawfully to live in such a manner that we walk humbly before Him and and uh, in holiness, obedience, service towards Him and towards one another, and the specific em emphasis here in chapter 4 uh, as kind of the, the example that stands for everything else, uh, that duty is incumbent upon us as we abide in His love, to love our brothers and sisters, to uh, abide with one another with this kind of godly love that has been manifested, made clear to us, lived out before us and commanded of us. But this, uh, this uh, uh, phrase of, uh, from Genesis, I'm uh, sorry, Genesis, Galatians chapter three, where Paul speaks about the, uh, that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, takes us nicely on uh, back in our thought process to 1 John chapter four again and verse 10. In this is love. Okay, so he said, all right, pay attention. 
Here's, here's the definition of what we're talking about. This, this is how this is demonstrated. Not that we have loved God. Let me stop there for a second. We've already seen in this passage, we're commanded to love God. There's many of other passages in the scriptures that command us to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we know that. But a lot of times, our focus upon this loving relationship is really about our part in it. <clears throat> I suppose that's to be expected in our, you know, the frailty of our natures and so on. However, that's not desirable. John says, the, 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 we're not going to define this loving relationship by how much you love God. It's not that that's not important, and certainly it ought to be pursued, but it begins with how much God loved you. And so this leads us to the last aspect of this preemptive love. It's revealed, it's carried out to the letter. Its purpose is clear to draw us to himself. But this is about initiative. God's love is preemptive in its initiative. Now, in our human relationships, we have one to the other, whether it's brother and sister or child to parent, parent to child, uh, spouses, good friends. Um, it's, it's one thing to receive love in return when you do something for somebody else. Right? That's, that's a good feeling. That's a nice thing. Um, but sometimes in our human relationships, we can kind of think of particularly guys when we're courting our our girls, you know, we're, it, okay, the flowers and the candy and the dinners and all that kind of stuff can be a tad self-serving. Because we're, okay, we're hoping to buy brownie points. Can I just be that blunt? At least at the beginning. But what really tells us that we're loved is when not when we have to be coaxed into it, not when we have to be lured into it, but when someone on their own initiative reaches out and does something kind to us, loving to us, tender to us, that rings true, does it not? You know, whether or not they get anything in return, it's just a pure act of kindness out of genuine love for somebody else, no matter what else happens. And when that happens... Um, yeah, you know what? Love returned is often you know, the natural consequence of that, which is an awesome thing. The Lord showed initiative in that he loved us first. Not waiting upon us, not knowing down, which of course predestination has nothing to do with knowing who is going to do something, so therefore God's just going to make his choice based upon what he already knows they're going to do for, we're going to do for him. It has to do with preemptive initiative without regard for what we may or may not do. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 makes that pretty clear, doesn't it? When Paul says, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. And here, um, in verse 10, um, 
he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And you put that with verse 19, very simply, we love because he first loved us. He showed us through Jesus Christ how much he loved his children. Do you believe that? Are you convinced of his love for you because of his sending of the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross and pay the penalty for your sin? is the ultimate expression of love because there is nothing in it for God that we could offer. The only thing in it really has nothing to do with our decisions or anything else and that is just that he is glorified by every action that he does. So his glories are shown. But he's glorified even when people reject him because he's shown to be just in his punishments, just as he is merciful in his blessings. The word propitiation is one that's probably familiar to you, but it gets, it's a long word. And for the young people here, they may or may not, you may not, may not have heard this word before. When it says there in verse 10 that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, propitiation uh, means forgiveness or reconciliation, particularly the means of that forgiveness. He's the covering. Um, that is actually a, not a new thought. It's not fresh to the uh, Old Testament. Uh, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you'll also be familiar with the word atonement. And the day of atonement as a uh, an occasion to be marked and observed that was uh, commanded of Israel. And the atoning work of the sacrifices as the blood was shed. That, <clears throat> that word atonement means covering. That the sins are covered. And propitiation is kind of the Greek New Testament equivalent of that thought of atonement. Christ came to be our atonement. Uh, the, the one that covers our sins. And because of that, it is possible for God to forgive us through Jesus Christ. We couldn't plan that. We couldn't begin to imagine it. But God preemptively loved us, revealed his plan, carried out his plan, his, set the purpose for it, and, and put it into action by his own initiative so that he would truly get the glory. This is the kind of love that you and I are to abide in, not wrestling uh, to ourselves some, some uh, uh, way of, of uh, yeah, we snuck into the kingdom. We, uh, we figured it out. We made a decision. Uh, we're... Uh, we're, we're uh, able to figure out how sinful we are and we're able to, to uh, you know, pray a prayer that God will be happy with or do some works that God will be happy with so, to get him to, to accept us. No. The plan, this loving plan, is God's and God's alone from before the foundations of the world, I believe Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1. So let us humble ourselves before him 
Let us rejoice in the love that He shows to us and abide in it, resting in it, not looking for any other salvation or any other righteousness. And then let that just spill out to one another and follow our Lord's example as we then in turn preemptively love each other. No expectations, no criteria, no conditions, just unconditional, sacrificial love for one another following the pattern that our God showed us through Jesus Christ. And as we do, we will bring glory to Him and joy and love to one another. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your love. This incredible love that loved us while we were yet enemies. We were hostile to You while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You initiated this contact. You drew us to Yourself by Your Spirit. You redeemed us by His power and in the name of and for the sake of the covering of Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay our debt and who rose again so that we might have new life with Him. Lord, I pray that each of us would be trusting in Jesus and Him alone for His love knows no bounds and there is nothing in the world that could begin to take its place. Thank you for your love for us. Help us to love each other in turn. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.